This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good, Chad. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, ready to dive into today's episode, re- uh, really. Yeah, apologies about last week. Uh, that was totally on my end. Had some technical difficulties, but should be good. Don't want to talk too much about it because it might hear me and decide to come back. So. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to jinx anything. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and get, get into it. So we are talking about episode Cocktails from season three. It aired on February 22nd of 2007. It was directed by J.J. Abrams, the Hollywood director known for most recently Star Wars and Star Trek and all these big blockbusters. So that's kind of crazy. And it was written by our very own Toby, Paul Lieberstein. So in Cocktails, David Wallace, the CFO of Dunder Mifflin, is having a party at his house. Michael, Jan, Jim, Karen, and Dwight are all at attendance. This is the first time that Michael and Jan have appeared in public together as a couple, and Jan is rightfully petrified. At the office, Pam, who has decided to be more assertive, has invited Roy to hang out with the office employees at Poor Richard's, the local bar. Roy declines, but Pam insists that he needs to be more boyfriendly if he's going to be her boyfriend. So the night goes on, and Pam decides in her new assertiveness to tell Roy that she and Jim kissed while Pam was engaged to Roy. Roy completely loses his temper and starts trashing the bar. Pam tells him that they are finally officially over, and the episode ends on a very, very tense note with Roy telling his brother, I'm going to kill Jim Halpert. Yeah, it is pretty intense, and uh, we'll get to see the repercussions of that in the next episode. Uh, But just starting off, we've got Michael, who is making a big deal of this party that is happening tonight. Uh, he, He says, Michael, what's the big deal? You go to parties all the time. What makes tonight so special? And it is because they are going as a couple for the first time. You know, up until back from vacation, Jan completely denied their involvement together aside from their work relationship. And this is the first time since then when she has decided to give in to her, as she calls them, self-destructed tendencies that we've seen them get together. So uh, Michael calls it their coming out party. Not what that is. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But it's... Interesting seeing their mindsets going into this because Michael is really excited, but Jan really isn't. Yeah, Jan has this talking head, um, and there is an extended deleted scene of this, but she is talking about the pros and cons of dating Michael, and her pros include overcoming self-loathing, babies, and normalcy. (laughs) And the cons are uh, dating Michael Scott, and collapsing in on myself like a dying star. So she uh, is clearly really torn. um, And in the deleted scene, she kind of delves into some really personal, like mental health issues, it seems like. I mean, she is really struggling with this self-loathing, it seems like. It's kind of really sad. Um, But she seems to think that dating Michael openly will make her happier ultimately. So she's giving it a shot. She hands Michael this, uh, as he calls it, love contract, which is really a waiver of rights. And she sees it as nothing more than a waiver of rights. And Michael says, you know, it's a declaration of our love. I'm going to frame it. And he actually does at the end of the episode, which is funny. But 
she tries to actually blow off the party once they've gotten together. He, uh, she says, you know, I, I'd rather just like rip into each other like they did on that black sand beach in Jamaica, which I'm sure Michael would love, but he actually turns her down because this is a big step for him. And he, he is more interested in the social aspects of having a girlfriend and then getting a family out of that than Jan is, who really seems to, at this point, be in it purely for the physical. Um, because even at the party itself, she tries to basically jump him in the bathroom, and he, he doesn't like that very much either. Yeah, again, he turns her down. And in fact, he says no several times, and she keeps kind of trying to take advantage of him, it seems. Um, so she's... I think in this really, really weird place because she seems to get so attracted to Michael when she is upset with him because he was kind of making a fool of himself at the party and then she yanked him into the bathroom and started making out with him. It's like she's just so turned around, I think, mentally. Um, This is the first I think we've really seen of Jan kind of unstable, but that's what she was here. He he tells her in the bathroom, no means please don't. <laughs> Which, a little backwards, but... <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, but it's pretty funny. Um, Michael tries to make it like they're a high school couple or even middle school. He's super lovey-dovey, hands over, uh, showing off she's my girlfriend, all this kind of stuff. And it it just goes south. By the end of the episode, he is saying, you know, something's wrong with Jan. Um, and on that car ride home after he, well, both of them have done their fair share of embarrassing each other at the party. Uh, he says, I want the house, Jan. I want the picket fence. I want the ketchup fights and the tickling and the giggling. He wants a relationship. <laughs> and I mean, I feel for the guy. He, he wants everything that comes with having a girlfriend, not the sex, even though that's what he seems to play up the most when he's uh, talking about Jan. But, he he wants a normal social relationship outside of work with a woman. And I don't blame him, but he is still figuring things out and Jan is not being helpful at all. In fact, on the car ride home while they're fighting, um, Michael says, I love you, Jan, which I'm pretty sure that's the first time he's said it, or at least the first time we've heard. And Jan responds, okay. <laughs> like, she's just <laughs> not into this. She's... um but again, she's sticking with it. I mean, through the end of this episode, they're still together, even though their first public outing as a couple was fairly disastrous and they both left unhappy. Um, Michael is convinced that he loves her and she's just tagging along, I guess. Yeah, we'll see what happens with them in the future. But this was sort of a rocky start. Um Michael still thinks that she's got something wrong with her, but I don't think Michael's so willing to let go of his first major girlfriend that we've seen and presumably that he's had in a long time. Um, so anyway, along with Michael and Jan and Dwight goes as well to this party, Jim is forced to go because he is, after all, second in command at Dunder Mifflin Scranton, and he takes Karen along. He says, you know, why, why don't I want to go? Because it's an obligation. I don't like talking paper in my free time or my work time. And he, he says, did I use the word pointless? So <laughs> Jim just lays it all out there. He's not excited for this thing at all. But Jim, of course, turns out having a pretty good time. Um, he kind of stands there wallflowering the party. And David Wallace, who is the CFO and the 
party thrower, um, kind of spots Jim and I guess recognizes him as a fairly sane person and invites him to go out back and shoot some hoops. So um, Jim turned it into a pretty good party. Uh, And of course, he brought Karen along as his date, as his girlfriend. And Karen, um, I guess, has uh, trying to feed Jim some of his own medicine by pranking him through this party. Karen decides to tell Jim that pretty much every guy that they have an interaction with that Karen has dated that guy and she apologizes for any awkwardness. And so Jim is led to believe that she has had just so many boyfriends and um, including David Wallace. So that was uh, her, her attempt to prank him back. Yeah. And I don't think it went over very well. I mean, it it didn't um, not just for Jim, but for me as well. You know, we had that deleted scene a couple of, couple of episodes ago during Pam's art show where she appeared to start to take down Pam's flyer so that Jim wouldn't see it and wouldn't feel obligated to go uh, support Pam. And I was like, well, even though it didn't make the cut for the actual episode, that sort of changes my opinion of Karen. Well, this one, this whole prank is in the episode and it changes my opinion of Karen up to this point as well, because it's like, it's it's exactly what you said. She's trying to give Jim a taste of his own medicine, except he's done nothing intentional to hurt her. And he's a good guy. Jim was not trying to hurt Karen. He was actually just trying to like not hurt himself by not mentioning Pam and his past history with her, which I think is fair because he and Pam did nothing but kiss once. And yeah, they were good friends, but it never went beyond that. So really, Jim did not have a whole lot of obligation to share that with Karen. But here, Karen basically takes revenge on him. and. It, it. Jim tries to play it cool at first, and he he's like, "Oh well, sure, not a big deal. Uh, I, that was you before, and I know you now, and I'm happy with you." And then, as it builds up and up and up and up, he says, "Really? Are you kidding me? Is there anybody here you haven't slept with, or anything like?" That? And then she reveals it, and instead of sort of sort of laughing it off, he still seems kind of perturbed. Uh, it, it it's just. It's, it doesn't go as well as Karen, I think, would have liked it to go because it's not really that funny. I think that was my thing, too. I mean, if if Jim had, I don't know, if it had been funny to him, it would have been one thing, but it wasn't funny to me either. <laughs> and it just, I don't know, it was just kind of a failed joke. Um, and then, of course, when she sees that it didn't go over super well, she turns it 180 and says, well, you're actually my first. And... That's not really something to joke about either. And he kind of is taken aback, like, really, I am? And she goes, no, it's just so easy to mess with you. Um, But when you see that the first part of that didn't go well, don't keep making the bad joke. I don't know. She's being needlessly antagonistic is what it is. And it it just doesn't make me like her. (laughs) I I mean, I, I like Karen overall still. I do, because I think she's got a good personality. I do think her and Jim fit well together for the most part. But she's just taking this whole thing with Pam that wasn't really a thing way too far and making Jim or trying to make Jim feel bad about it. And he has no obligation to feel bad about it either. Because they're both similar instances. And I really hadn't thought about that until right this moment. But, you know, she's kind of playing on the whole dating a coworker thing 
um, because Jim was so long interested in, in Pam, that she's pulling the same thing, that she dated all these coworkers too. And I just made that connection and that kind of sucks. Yeah. Of course, Dwight is going around the whole party and he's more interested in uh, the structure of the house and making sure it's all sound and built well. And he finds a rocking chair in the, the kids' room and uh, he, he's having a good old time in his own way. Uh, but Pam, in this episode, makes the decision to, uh, to, to be more honest with people in general. She says, you know, I'm going to start telling people exactly what I want. And that that's going to be the new me. Okay. I'm not going to let people walk all over me. And that's a big step for her because I mean, even coming from Jim way back, I I was actually watching some season two episodes with a friend last night and it was the episode where, um, boys and girls, when the, the whole art scholarship design program was mentioned and Roy says, you know, you shouldn't do this. And Jim says, you've got to take on, you've got to take a chance on something sometime, Pam. And part of that, I think, is about honesty. And even looking back at the last episode um, in business school, where her art was criticized by her peers and by Oscar and Gil for lacking courage and honesty and for being motel art, they weren't wrong. And Pam's feelings were also hurt by other coworkers showing up. So she's really learning and growing from that whole experience. And turning a new leaf out of it. Let's be honest. I'm going to tell people exactly what I want and I'm going to make bolder choices. And we see a little bit of that at the bar with, um, you know, she orders two beers. One of them is supposed to be light, but the bartender hands her two regular beers. And she says, she, she kind of eyes the camera and turns around and says, actually, one of these is supposed to be light. Um, and it's, you know, it's a little moment, but Pam, two or three episodes ago, wouldn't have done that, I don't think. And then, of course, we see it in a big way when, through the night, she decides that she needs to tell Roy what happened. I wanted to ask what what you thought um, made her want to be open with Roy um, and finally tell him this. Is it just her wanting to be more assertive? Because this doesn't seem very assertive, just honest. I guess I get it, but I just wanted to hear your thoughts on it. I think she feels guilty because... Roy doesn't have the whole picture why she broke off the wedding in the first place a month before it happened. And so when they're playing the game with the quarters under the hands and Roy says, you can't hide anything from me. I can read you like a book. Uh, One, I sort of, whatever, I roll my eyes at that. But two, she thinks, well, you don't know everything because I have hidden something from you. And we're back together now. And so I think it's largely fed by guilt where she says, okay, let's put everything out on the table and let's have an honest from both ends relationship now. And I'm going to start it off by telling you the secret that led to partially our breaking up in the first place. Yeah, that makes sense. And Roy automatically assumed that she was accusing him of something. He says, no, 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 I, I didn't do anything, meaning I didn't cheat on you. And I totally could have, ask anybody. <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 yeah. listen, it's me. I did something. And I mean, the fact that Roy just automatically assumes that he's being, you know, accused of something and he couldn't even imagine that Pam would do anything unsavory. Um, but she's trying to be honest and, 
I appreciate that she told him. I think it needed to be told, uh, especially given the fact that she did have feelings for him. And she said, um, we kissed, he had feelings for me, and I guess I did too. So she tells him it was more than just a kiss, which Mm -hmm. is brave. I mean, and it needed to be said. So whether or not you like Roy, it did need to be said, I think. And good on her. I admire her honesty because Roy was scummy enough. Uh, and it was enough, far enough in the past that she could have never told him. But that's not Pam. That's, right. and, and what she did was not okay. Uh, like, I'm not trying to defend that at all. Um, maybe a different setting would have been better to share this right. information. <laughs> not when he's several beers and shots deep and uh, borderline very drunk. And we've seen in the past he has a little bit of an anger problem. Um, so... Yeah, not the best setting, but she did what she thought she should. And, you know, you and I have both praised Roy a lot this season because he had made some apparent strides to win Pam back and was eventually successful. Uh, But he reacts very violently. And we see and she sees that he is still just as possessive and just as aggressive as the Roy we knew from the first two seasons. and. She just ends it immediately. She says we're through and she leaves. That's it. Um, And it's a shame. Well, I say it's a shame. (laughs) Even though Roy improved, I don't think either of us liked him very much. Right, Uh, no. (laughs) But but it it was good for Pam that she also took this this new turn in life to say, okay, this is over for good. And she walks out. It kind of breaks my heart because she doesn't seem shocked or anything by Roy's violent outburst. She just kind of stands up, says, we're done, and leaves. As if, you know, this has happened before. So, absolutely right. I mean, being drunk is no excuse. Violence is never okay. And he starts throwing glass. All right, time to go. That's it. So, yay. I mean, sucks that it happened, but it needed to happen, I think, for her to finally get out. Okay, well, we're going to have two discussion topics for this episode, and so we're going to go ahead and fit the first one in here. And that question is, if I can scroll to it, aside from the physical part of it, was Roy's anger justifiable? Obviously, him trashing this bar, throwing glass, breaking things, never justifiable. But do you think just the anger part of it, the part of him that made him do the physical things, do you think that was justified? I think he had every right to be upset, especially since... She did have feelings for Jim. She admitted that. I mean, when you're in a relationship, I, I I guess you try to think about like, okay, what would happen if this person cheated on me? What would I do? And I feel like there's a difference between, I mean, no cheating is okay. Don't, let me just preface this um, at all, ever, period, end of question. But <laughs> physical versus emotional, I could maybe, maybe, maybe get past, you know, oh, he had kissed, she had kissed, whatever, another person. But saying that they had feelings for somebody else, I don't know that I could get past that. So, yeah, I think he has every right to be mad. And as you said, you know, don't get violent. So that's never justified. But, yeah, I mean, I'd be mad too. I think up to this point, Roy had sort of blamed his own shortcomings for the end of their relationship, you know? And that's why he'd made so many changes. He'd lost weight. He 
started paying attention to what Pam enjoyed and what she likes and wants and had appealed to those. And so he'd make he'd made all these positive strides, as we'd pointed out every every episode, to win her back. And now he learns that he didn't have to change. So I think it's a little prideful too. Um, yeah. Where he he he's like, well, I changed myself for nothing. It was all Jim's fault that I d- did this. If if it weren't for Jim, we'd still be together, and it wasn't anything I did at all. You know, I I think that's sort of his mindset. And so, in the perspective that you gave, I definitely agree that it's justifiable. But in that sort of alternate perspective, and him being prideful that he made all these changes and they were a waste because it wasn't his fault to begin with. I think that's an alternate alternative side to this position where uh, it, it's more about his own pride than it is about anything else. And so in that sense, yeah. I'd say it's not as justifiable. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. I hadn't thought about it that way. But yeah, I, hmm. I don't know. That's tricky, but I don't know. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and <laughs> lighten things up. Let's go into the funny <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so Please. Well, what made you laugh in this episode? Well, let's start out with the cold open. Um, as always, very unrelated to this, the episode, uh, Michael has put himself in a straitjacket and is trying to do this magic trick where he escapes. And he has a, a brass key that he hides in his mouth and plans on, you know, using the key to unlock the chains and get out of the straitjacket. But of course, Michael drops the key from his mouth. Jim, who is sitting down at his desk, sees the key fall, puts his foot over the key, and watches Michael struggle. <laughs> um, so simple, but really good. I like that he has this this talking head where he says, you know, magic camp is not just for kids, but everyone thinks it is, which is why most of my classmates were kids. Self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> <laughs> but then he says, it's for anyone with a dream and with a belief in magic and with extra time after school. So he still circles back to the fact that it's for kids <laughs> after all. Uh, but right. I just love how completely non-subtle it is when he's he's talking to everybody and saying, okay, get ready. Everybody, everybody gather around so I can put on this show for you. Uh, he is very obviously hiding a key in his mouth. Like you, you could argue it's not even hidden because it's just kind bulging of out. Like you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I love it. Um, before he leaves for the party, he asks Pam to smell his breath, and she says no. And so Dwight says, "Here, I'll I'll do it." And so Michael like gives this long, drawn out breath into Dwight's face. And Dwight just sits there and takes it and pauses. Good, not great. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's just, it's, it's so funny that Dwight offers and then Michael like gives this super long breath into his face. And then those two again, when they get to the party, Michael is wearing the exact same shirt and I think the same tie as the, as the uh, servants, they call them, but as the caterers. Mm-hmm. And it's similar. Yeah, it's very similar. And so they decide, Michael decides that they're going to change shirts. Except I always thought maybe they should just change ties <laughs> because that would be so much less awkward. Um, but my guess is Michael doesn't even want to be wearing the same color as, you know, the help or whatever. So he makes Dwight do it for him. And Dwight um, says that would have been really embarrassing. Crisis yeah. averted. <laughs> like he doesn't care at all. It's just funny that uh, he, he cares more about Michael. The potato salad talking head always makes me laugh when I watch uh, because he, Michael, it, it, it's clear that he 
is not used to this kind of social situation. He doesn't have any sort of social life outside of work. And he hasn't been invited to many of these professional catered events. And so he brings along a potato salad and uh, the, she, she give, or he gives it to David Wallace's wife. And they're very early, by the way. We didn't mention that, but they're very early to this party. She's still in a robe and towel. And she puts the potato salad amongst the fancy silver and platters and dishes that they've set up for the professional catering. And Michael has this talking head whispering to the camera. He says, you know, that, that, that potato salad's been sitting in my car all day. The heat from the sun beating down on the mayonnaise. You just, you, you never know. <laughs> oh, that always, yeah. I can just imagine like the next day, everybody getting horribly sick. And <laughs> David Wallace's wife is kind of, you know, offering, oh, have you tried Michael's potato salad? And he's just kind of shrinking into the corner because no one should probably eat that. Well, I think even Jan says something later about not feeling well, and Michael says, you didn't eat the potato salad, did you? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Back in Scranton, at the bar, Creed admits to running a small fake ID company out of his car with a (laughs) laminating machine that he stole from the sheriff's station. So that's several crimes. (laughs) Yeah, several. Uh, But uh, Creed doesn't seem to care very much about legal or not legal so far in the show. (laughs) Um, Kevin, uh, Pam asks if him and his fiance, Stacy had set a date for their wedding yet. And he says, yes. But then he says, it's complicated. What does that mean? <laughs> well, <laughs> how is a date complicated? It, it's something you can point to on the calendar. So, uh, I, I guess we'll find out maybe later what's happening with Kevin and his fiance. And I think the last one for me, although it's not... Okay, so Roy smashing up the bar isn't funny, but to me, what's always funny is his brother coming over and he sees Roy just throwing things and out of context, the brother just comes up and starts throwing things too, which (laughs) always makes me laugh because he was not in that conversation. He has no reason to be angry and um, he just takes the opportunity to start (laughs) making a mess, which I don't know why always makes me laugh. Well, he's missing out on his important jet ski appointment that they didn't get to go to thanks to Pam wanting to spend time with her boyfriend. So curses on you, Pam. (laughs) (laughs) Toby has this continued crush on Pam. Uh, When they first arrive at poor Richard's, he hears her say in passing, like, it's not like she's raving over this. She just says, oh, that's cute to this stuffed duck in a crane machine. And he spends the entire night winning it for her. And missing out on spending time with her instead, which he could have done had he not bothered with this. And then she says, hey, don't you have a daughter? And offers it back to him at the end of the night anyways. So it was a completely wasted effort on his part. As always, poor Toby. He's so uh, (laughs) overlooked. And then I think my last one is just a line at the party where uh, it's a little bit between Karen and Jan. Jan is already totally perturbed with Michael. She and Michael have had their little bathroom adventure already. And Jan comes up to Karen. Karen says, hey, Jan. And Jan says, not too good. (laughs) Doesn't even, (laughs) she just assumes she said, how are you? Um, Jumps right to it. I think she has a drink in her hand as well. So she's she's, uh, not having a great night. Yeah, not the first time she's done that either. It's a tendency of Jan to just completely ignore people and offer responses out of thin air. Yeah. 
<laughs> uh, the last one I wanted to mention was Michael enjoying scotch with David Wallace and company. <laughs> um, David, it, it's this expensive scotch. It was a gift from a friend. And they all take a sip together. And Michael almost dies. He like spits it out, splutters into some coughs. He asks for ice and or Splenda, neither of which you are supposed to add to expensive scotch. <laughs> so it, it's just funny that he has such a, a strange reaction to uh, this alcohol. I always laugh at that face and sound, the like, <laughs> like the lip pop he does. That was probably really loud. Sorry. But <laughs> I just think, you know, like the first time I had a sip of, you know, scotch neat or whatever, like, yeah, it'll surprise you if you're not used to it. But it just, he's drinking it like a 20 year old who is rebelling and, you know, trying a drink <laughs> yeah. illegally. Like, it's just, right. <laughs> oh, he's, he's a kid. Going on to deleted scenes, Ryan asks Toby if he's going to Port Richards, and they both say maybe. And then Kelly peeks over the partition to tell them that they're both going, that they're all going. And Ryan whispers to Toby, uh, isn't there a rule against inter-office dating? Toby says, I'm not doing your dirty work for you. <laughs> it's, it's like Ryan's trying to find excuses to end his relationship with Kelly, uh, but... Toby says, nope, not helping you out with that. Oscar and Angela decide to go to Poor Richards as well. And um, they pretty much just spend the whole time kind of bashing the bar. Um, definitely not Angela's cup of tea. Oscar really wasn't enjoying it either. Oscar just comments on how gross the food is. He says that these chicken wings are all fat and bone. And Angela's just, this place is disgusting. And just their reactions to seeing them in a social situation and of course at a bar outside of work is pretty funny. Yeah. And they're enjoying each other's company and agreeing with each other. So I'm glad that they're so far still getting along after Oscar's return. I, I think it's so funny that the bartender is able to point at and name every member of the office purely because Meredith is a regular customer and apparently talks about her coworkers. Uh, he says, Hey mayor, how, how's it going? You want the usual? And uh, he, he, like I said, he's just able to point at everybody and say, oh, you're Stanley, you're Dwight, you're whoever, or not Dwight, obviously he's not there. But that's, that's my point, is that he, he just knows who everybody is instinctually, which is really funny. Stanley's daughter shows up at the bar, which, again, she's a kid, um, definitely not 21. I don't know how old she is supposed to be at this time, but... I wonder if she's one of Toby's customers, <laughs> or uh, not uh, Toby's Creed's customers. Right. Um... She comes up to Ryan, and Ryan can't really place her. He's like, hey, you. And she goes, you don't remember me, do you? And he's trying to, oh, are you a customer of mine? Are you, you know, how do I know you? And then Stanley looks up and sees that his daughter is there, and he <laughs> freaks out and, like, chases her out of the bar. Ryan runs out. Um, so, again, Stanley thinks that Ryan is just, like leeching on his daughter which he totally <laughs> i don't think he's doing this he does not no. remember who this girl is um but it kind of gets set up that it looks like he's being inappropriate with stanley's daughter yeah both times it was her own fault not that ryan was really trying to buy into it but uh you hear stanley shout i'll snatch your spine out your back <laughs> <laughs> whereas in, in the first time when bring your daughter to work day back in season two he says boy have you lost your mind because i help you find it <laughs> <laughs> Every time this happens, we get a great Stanley quote. So I'll snatch your spine out your back. 
And uh, in that same deleted scene, we get a shot of Toby at the crane machine with a pile of quarters. Uh, so it's funny that in that moment, we get to see a little bit more from him. Last one I had was that we did get to see that Michael frames the, quote, love contract. Uh, it reads very clearly at the top, a waiver of rights. But uh, Michael's, got, uh, Michael's got it framed. So uh, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, as Chad said, we have two discussion topics for this episode. Kind of a different one. Um, what is the best situation you've made out of a party that you really didn't want to go to? Well, my freshman year of college, um, I had some friends in my section of the band who were turning 20, I think. Um, so not drinking age, but when I went to their party, there was alcohol everywhere. and being this naive little freshman who'd never had alcohol before in my life, I was not expecting that. <laughs> and so I was very uncomfortable at this party and just sort of stood in the corner with my hands in my pockets. <laughs> um, and I mean, I stayed for a little bit. I, I, I was trying to make friends still. And these people were people who I was spending all my time with in the band. And so um, I, I was able to talk to a couple people and including to the birthday people and it was fine, but it was just an uncomfortable situation at first, especially. And, uh, I, I pieced out after a while and probably did something with my roommate. So that was me <laughs> turning that around. Mine was, I was a junior in, in, uh, high school. I think I was looking at colleges and I had a recommendation to visit a college and I won't say the college because I don't want to yeah I don't want to say anything um <laughs> but I it was out of state it was in the midwest and I was staying there for the weekend to just kind of get a feel of the school took a couple of classes and they have you stay with a student and so I was in the dorms and I was staying with these girls who decided that we were going to go to this party and I'm not a partier I just never have been I'm pretty quiet and so we go to this party and it is the most inappropriate thing I have ever seen I was very <laughs> uncomfortable and it was at some off-campus house whatever and so I just lock myself in a room and I um there's a cat there <laughs> I find the house cat and we go in a corner and I'd pet the cat <laughs> and it was, uh, <laughs> it was just fine. You know, um, I, again, yeah, like I was the world's most naive, um, high schooler. And even today, absolutely not. That's not my kind of party. I won't go into details. Um, but there was a cat. So, so everything was okay. <laughs> everything was okay. Yeah. It, it, if you can find the pet in the house, it'll be okay. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, so moving on to our second episode of discussion, The Negotiation. It aired on April 5th, 2007, was directed by Jeffrey Blitz and written by Michael Schur. At the start of the episode, a very disgruntled Roy appears at the office and makes a move to attack Jim, but is stopped by Dwight and a can of pepper spray. He's obviously fired, and a few days go by between the attack and the rest of the episode. Jim makes attempts to thank Dwight and even give him a gift for saving him from a beating, but Dwight declines, not wishing to be thanked for doing something he saw as his duty. Because he's dealing with the higher workload due to the still recent merger and now the loss of Roy, Daryl approaches Michael, asking for a raise, only to learn that Michael himself is due for a pay increase as well. The two of them, plus Toby, make the drive to New York to negotiate, or 
not <laughs> with Jan to raise Michael's salary. So that attack uh, comes directly after the last line of cocktails, which is, I'm going to kill Jim Halpert. So whether or not he actually had intent to kill Jim, um, he definitely was going to, I mean, rough him up. And I gotta say, all this making fun of Dwight that people do, um, he definitely saved Jim. So good on him. He definitely does. He's very quick to react. Uh, in fact, I don't even know if I noticed Dwight in the scene until all of a sudden he's there holding a can of pepper spray. But it's again telling how what Roy's personality is like, because presumably at this moment he's not drunk, whereas he was at the end of the previous episode when he started trashing the bar after hearing the news, which means that he acted in this way sober, um, I would assume. And so that even further dirties his personality in the eyes of the people there, I suppose. And uh, Dwight has this talking head where he says, every day for eight years, I have brought pepper spray into this office to protect myself and my fellow employees. And every day for eight years, people have laughed at me. Well, who's laughing now? And this whole time he's got tears running down his face and he's blinking crazily because the pepper spray, even though you don't get it on yourself, it still burns just being in the air. Um, so it's funny watching him give that monologue while blinking and crying. Uh, but I also want to offer that I don't think d people normally laugh at Dwight because he carries pepper spray to the office. Right. He kind of assumes that that's the reason people make fun of him. But it's pretty much just everything else about him, not necessarily the pepper spray. Um, he is really, really disinterested in even accepting thanks from Jim. Um, Jim got him a display case for, uh, for Dwight's bobblehead, but Dwight is not interested in any kind of gift. He won't even accept a verbal thanks from Jim. So Jim tries to give him a certificate of appreciation from the police department, but Dwight automatically recognizes it as the one that they give to children, as it has a teddy bear on the bottom corner. Um, but Jim really feels obligated to pay him back in some way. So what Jim decides to finally pay him back with, um, at the end of the episode, Jim sees Dwight and Angela kissing in the middle of the office. Um, so the cat is kind of out of the bag. Is, is Jim the first? Well, Pam knows Pam that knows. something is going on, right. but Jim does think he's the first one. And he says, right. and now we're even because I'm not going to share this with anybody. Right. Um, so Jim is the first one, I guess, that's really seen anything for real. So Jim decides this will be his thanks. We're now even. I'll never say a word. It's just funny how adamant, adamant uh, Dwight is saying, you know, citizens don't accept prizes for being citizens. Uh, which I don't know if it's a citizen's job to carry around pepper spray and to stop attacks on other people, but good, good on him. I'm not trying to discount uh, his actions. So good for him. Um, we also learned that Dwight has a lot of hidden weapons. Uh, he's got like a ninja star under his desk. He's got nunchucks hidden somewhere, various other things. Um, and we'll talk about that more later. But uh, Jim in the aftermath of this, is just sort of, well, that happened. He he, it, he didn't really have time to react. He was ready to take the beating and Dwight stopped him. But Pam sort of saw everything happen in real time 
And she says, you know, I don't want to comment on what happened. She only says it sucked. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, what about it sucked for her specifically. After all, Roy wasn't trying to attack her. But uh, I can understand emotionally how that would suck to have this guy who you've ended things with attack the guy who you'd maybe eventually like to do things with um, and potentially ruin both relationships. So there's that, I suppose. Yeah, I think she just doesn't want to be in the middle of all this. Um, we assume Pam is a pretty low drama person, and now this super dramatic thing has happened on her account or on her behalf. And um, yeah, I think she just doesn't want, you know, she just wants it to be done. And here, here Roy is bringing it physically into the office uh, with violence again. And she's just over him, I think. She apologizes to Jim and says it's really over between her and Roy, but Jim expresses doubt and says, we'll see, which it sucks because he's seen her be done with Roy once before, but they came back. And so I understand his mindset there and his response, sort of sarcastic response. And though I believe her, after what Jim and her have been through, I understand is sort of disdain and lack of belief in trusting that trusting Pam and saying that she's done with Roy for good. Because like I said, she said it before. Uh, she broke off a wedding with a guy after however many years, and still they came back together. So I, I understand his feelings, but it also still kind of seems eh, maybe not the best thing to say right now, Jim. Everybody's sort of on edge, and that's just going to make Pam feel worse. Yeah, he's being a little short with her. Um, I think he's a little just, I don't know if impatient is the right word, but he's just kind of fed up with the back and forth with with Pam. And he's just assuming like, yeah, I mean, you're wrapped up in this unhealthy relationship. You've gone back to him before. I wouldn't be surprised if you do again. And I think he's just trying to distance himself from her toxic relationship with Roy. Roy does show up later to pick up his final paycheck. Um, He goes over to accounting and, well, first he apologizes to Jim uh, and then he goes over to accounting and Oscar and Angela are standing there together and Angela's the one who hands over the check, but she's sort of hiding behind Oscar, which again, I think is a a positive uh, display of their new sort of friendship with each other, which is great. But it also shows that Roy has really dirtied his reputation to everybody because Angela had had a little bit of a crush on Roy in these last couple seasons uh, that we'd seen in just a couple of moments. Not obviously she's still with Dwight, uh, but she had shown sort of mild affection towards Roy before and it's absent here. Um, But he approaches Pam and says, hey, can we at least meet for coffee and just talk? I just want to talk and say a few things. and. I think that for for Pam to say yes and to agree to meet with him, just like last episode and her resolution to bravery and to honesty, I think it shows maturity that she says, okay, I'll, I'll meet with you. And they are able to have a very civil conversation at a coffee shop. So Roy asks if she's going to start going out with Jim now. And Pam is kind of taken aback and says, no, Jim has a girlfriend. And Roy says... So you're not even going to try to go out with him. I don't get you, Pam. 
And in my notes, I put in all caps, same, Roy. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I mean, I get it. He's with, he's with Karen. You can't, you know, do anything. But Roy, same with all of us, are kind of assuming you're going to do something, right? You're going to, you're going to try because it's Jim. I mean, you guys have such a history. Um, but Pam right now has no plans to really go after him at all. Yeah, I think that he's still sort of on her side. And, you know, if he's not going to, if she's not going to be with me, Roy, then maybe she should be with Jim after all that he's sort of the guy who split us up. But I also think it's more revealing of Roy in the sense that he would almost view their breakup as a waste if she and Jim didn't end up together after all they've been through, you know? Mm, Um, So I think, again, it's Roy Roy being slightly prideful, saying, well, you ended our relationship for the guy please go do something so I don't feel even worse about all of this. Uh, maybe that's over-interpreting, but that's just sort of a little bit of the vibe I got. It's like, if, if you're not going to be with me, surely you're not going to just be single, right? Because there's <laughs> got to be someone else. Um, but I think, I think Pam needs to be single for a little bit. She just needs to purge herself of Roy and, you know, she's making all these strides of being independent and being you know, honest and more assertive. And I think being away from Roy and not necessarily with anyone else right now would probably be exactly what she needs. Then we have Karen, who has a talking head saying her reaction to finding out about the kiss between Jim and Pam was to have long talks about their feelings. Uh, And Roy just attacked him. (laughs) She uh, she said, I'm not sure which one he hated more. (laughs) Uh, And... Then later in the episode, you know, Jim has been trying and trying to give Dwight something as a token of his thanks as he's talking with her about it and says, "I'm, I'm really struggling to come up with a way. And she just sort of shuts him down and says, you know what I think you should do is go back out there and work so that we can save money for a trip. Everything that Karen does with Jim seems to be her shutting down his fun. We've seen him turn down pranks before. We've seen her turn down, uh, well, we've seen her in the last episode sort of teasing Jim in a certain way by lying about these past relationships. And so everything she's doing, she might think it's funny, but she, she just doesn't go along with Jim. She doesn't have fun with him in the same way that Jim, Jim and Pam do, you know? Yeah. And I think Karen was a lot more fun at the beginning, or not even a lot. I mean, when Jim and Karen first met in Stamford, she kind of wasn't really amused by all of his quirks anyway. Um, not the same way Pam always was. Yeah, they, they've gone on this weird growth where uh, Karen was sort of fed up with Jim at the beginning because he was her immediate higher up. and. She didn't want to be uh, under anybody as far as having an extra boss to answer to. And then eventually she falls for him and he falls for her and they start dating. And then the whole Pam thing happens and their relationship is thrown into turmoil again. And now they're still sort of recovering from that. And then the attack from Roy happens and she's being antagonistic about Jim's feelings for Pam, feelings for Pam and all these kinds of things. Uh, they've been on a rocky road. And so it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Uh, But it was just like, come on. He's trying to do something nice to the guy who saved him 
uh, from a beating, the least you could do is help him try and figure something out. But instead, you know, I think you should go out there and work because we're trying to save for a, 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 a trip. So go out there and do your part. There was one thing I forgot to say about the Pam and Roy coffee meeting. Um, and I wanted to ask you about it. So Roy says that he was shocked that Jim kissed Pam. He thought that they were only close friends or maybe Jim was gay. Which, to me, it really seems like Roy definitely suspected something of Jim. I mean, especially early on, he really, really didn't like Jim in a jealous way. Like, he he knew, in my opinion, that something was up. But now, he's saying that he's totally shocked. I wanted to know your thoughts on that. Yeah, trying to think back to early episodes, there was once when Jim was sort of hanging out at reception desk, as he did, and pretty close or it was right up next to he was actually behind the desk now that i'm remembering it they were pulling a prank on dwight and he was behind the desk with her side by side and uh roy walks in and says hey helper what are you trying to do cop a feel and so you're right there was the aspect of jealousy but it turned into eventually sort of uh yeah i don't like hearing pam complain at home so i'm glad she has a friend at work to complain with instead and right it was, again, him being more selfish and thinking, you know, at the end of the day, Pam comes home with me, so I don't really care about anything else. But he wasn't suspecting Jim because he was that sort of confidant for Pam at work. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but I'm just trying to think how that did change. And I think it was just Roy drawing further and further into himself. And being so prideful about his control over Pam, maybe, and just thinking, there's no way she would cheat on me. Uh, if anybody cheated in this relationship, it was totally going to be me, because I totally could have, but I didn't. Right. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. So that, that's sort of my mindset, I suppose. I didn't even really have one, so that works for me. I, I really couldn't, um, couldn't think of why he would all of a sudden take that back, but that makes sense. Angela is asking around to everybody what their version of the events with the attack from Roy on Jim and the the rescuing by Dwight, what their version of that events were. And she seems to get some sort of euphoria or something from hearing about Dwight being the hero. Um, so it, it, she goes to Oscar first and then she goes over to Creed and he gives this useless garbage story and she just walks away. <laughs> uh, I'm not interested in fiction. She wants to hear the, the real stuff. She wants to hear about her man being praised and being heroic and being everything that she admires about him. Uh, so it, it's interesting seeing her asking everybody for their version of events so she can just hear it again told from somebody else's perspective. I had that down under funny moments uh, more than character interactions because I just think that is so funny. She's just so attracted to Dwight at this moment and just <laughs> has to hear all of these superhero tales of him. Yeah, it definitely is funny, especially that moment with Creed when I, I think she actually calls him <laughs> useless. I don't remember for sure. Yeah, uh, I think that's right. And then I always laugh because in that one, he immediately turns around and goes back to his whatever he has on his desk without, I mean even a second of hesitation, you're useless. And he just spins around in his chair and puts on his glasses. Like he knows. Um, now, speaking to Michael and to Daryl, 
Michael is trying to sort of stalemate Daryl. He knew this negotiation for uh, a, a salary increase for Daryl was coming. Um, and it makes sense because he was due for a raise in six months anyway, but now they've merged with the Stanford branch. And so they're getting more shipments out and now Roy's gone. So he's having to handle a little bit extra work out on top of that. So Michael's trying to prepare for this and is using negotiation tactics that he printed off of Wikipedia to keep Daryl at bay. Uh, he, he has that classic Michael Scott quote, Wikipedia is the best place because anybody in the world can put in anything that they want so that you know you're getting the most uh, accurate information or something to that effect, <laughs> um, which isn't the case. And still, Michael is taking these negotiation tactics and like completely botching them. And things go south pretty quickly when trying to negotiate with Daryl. And he ultimately tries to turn down Daryl's request for a raise because Daryl's scheduled pay, pay raise, except he wants it six months early, would put him making more money than Michael. And Michael says, I can't have that. So we learn that Michael really is not making a lot of money. He's making barely more than his employees. And so they decide to go to Jan in New York and levy for Michael's raise himself so that then Daryl can have his raise. Um, Jan at first offers him only 5%, says that's all they can do. And then kind of off the record, she says to Michael, if you ask for 15%, I can give you 12, but I need you to ask higher. I can't give you what you ask for. Um, that goes down with a little hitch, but he does end up getting a 12% raise. And so then Daryl can have his as well. We sort of glazed over the fact, though, <laughs> that Michael showed up to work in a lady's suit. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> which is fantastic for so many different reasons. Um, because he was trying to make, maintain control of the situation with Daryl. Uh, that was the whole point of downloading these negotiation tactics and printing them off was he was trying to maintain control of the situation so that he could handle what Daryl was asking for and eventually basically turn him down. Um, but he loses that control when Daryl realizes that he's wearing a lady suit and uh, th there's so many things to question. Like uh, Mike Michael says, I got it out of the bin and it fits. So at the very least it's bisexual again, not how that works. <laughs> um, Kevin asks him who makes it. He opens it to reveal a pink lining, a pink lining in a men's suit that should have said something. And the tag for the company mysterious, uh, like, Come on, Michael, how obvious does it get? <laughs> but it just ruins his negotiations with Daryl because he lost control of the situation. And then it gets worse when Daryl learns that Michael barely makes more than he does salary-wise. And uh, it, it turns into a laughing situation and Daryl starts taking a picture of his paycheck because he thinks it's funny, all this kind of stuff. It builds and builds and builds until Michael says, well, okay, well, then let's go to New York. And so Daryl sort of empowers Michael to go to New York and uh, they figured out eventually, but Michael's just not good at negotiating. Uh, Jan says to keep their private relationship out of this because they, they can't, they can't put their private relationship in there. It has to be completely business. And he completely falls apart. He can't. She says a 6% raise is all they're offering. And he says, really, after all we've been through, <laughs> and he says, you give me a raise, <laughs> a good raise or no more sex. And it's just, Michael has disaster after disaster this episode. 
And despite the episode being titled The Negotiation, there's really not a whole lot of negotiating that goes on because Michael's not good at it. And Toby, of course, being in New York with them, says, I'm going to prepare for the deposition. That's inevitably going to happen (laughs) because Michael is being incredibly inappropriate. He's threatening to withhold sex from Jam over a work-related thing. Like, it's just really, really not okay. And then when when Jan does say, you know, if you ask for 15, I can give you 12, um, he says, oh, okay. And uh, Toby comes back in, and they resume negotiating, and he says, okay, I'd like a 15% raise. And she says, well, we can offer you 12. He says, but you just said 15. (laughs) He's so bad at this. (laughs) She just rolls her eyes like, oh, (laughs) you're not getting it. And then at the end of the episode, he's saying... You know, negotiation is an art, back and forth, give and take, and him and Daryl both walked away with higher salaries, so win, 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 which is a reference to conflict resolution back in season two when he brought up everyone's beef with each other, and there was the whole win, win, win scenario where the two sides sides of the conflict uh, were satisfied and also the mediator of the conflict was satisfied, so they all win. Uh, That is brought back, but... I'm not really sure if everybody wins here just because they went about it so haphazardly. One last thing before we move on to the funny stuff. Uh, We haven't gotten a whole lot of Daryl before. Most of the time when we'd seen him, it had been down in the warehouse uh, trying to mitigate the disasters brought upon by Michael as much as possible. Um, So we see in this episode that he's really about fairness and equal opportunity. And, you know, he's asking for a raise because of the merger and Roy being gone. And then when Michael reveals that he doesn't get paid much despite being there for 14 years, he convinces Michael to go out and get a raise for himself. And I mean, yes, the the sort of ulterior motive of Michael getting a raise is that he gets a raise as well. But still, he encourages Michael and empowers him and um, really is the the convincing force behind Michael driving up to New York and getting his raise. Uh, getting a raise and being fairly compensated. So I, I admired that about Daryl, uh, that when, when the opportunity came, he helped Michael out, even though, yes, he wanted it for himself too. He helped Michael. Moving on to some funny moments for this episode. Um, there was Talking Head with Toby, where Ryan and Kelly are just arguing back and forth about something mindless. And Toby says... I don't think Michael intended to punish me by putting Ryan back here with Kelly, but if he did intend that, wow, genius. (laughs) (laughs) He's just so tortured back there and uh, kind of applauds Michael's torture tactic. (laughs) I love that moment where Kelly and Ryan are arguing on the other side of the partition and we just see the camera on Toby and he like knocks on the wall says, hey, there, there are other people back here. <laughs> He's trying very feebly to get them to be quiet. And it's just not working. Uh, I think they're arguing over the stupidity of naming their child Usher, if I'm Yeah, not that sounds right. <laughs> Something that I quote all the time from this show is when he's on the phone with Jan and he says, yuppers. And Jan said, what did I tell you about yuppers? Michael says, I don't remember. She says, I told you not to say it. Do you remember that? And he just says, 
yesh <laughs> and i quote <laughs> yeppers and yesh all the time <laughs> because it's yesh. so funny and my and toby is sitting there uh on that conference call just sort of sitting awkwardly listening to their relationship qualms when daryl is asking michael about um getting a raise and he learns that michael's salary is so low he calls someone on the phone in michael's office right in front of michael and starts making fun of him about his salary and the camera just pans over to Michael just sitting there and taking this where Daryl is just <laughs> laughing at Michael right in front of his face. And he just sits there silently kind of looking down. His patience is being tried, but he's he's really trying to hold it together. And, oh, I feel so bad for him because he's just being made fun of him. There's nothing he can do about it. I have the actual Wikipedia quote written down, so I want to read it correctly rather than my, my botched attempt earlier. Um, it was, Wikipedia is the best thing ever. Anyone in the world can write anything they want about any subject, so you know you're getting the best possible information. <laughs> so there's that. And then there's this tiny moment when they first arrive in New York and they're in the waiting room of corporate, and Michael is sitting next to a woman and he looks over and she appears to be wearing the same suit as him, <laughs> which is just even greater payoff on him accidentally cross-dressing as he puts it to Jan. Uh, so funny. And I think the last thing I have is also about the suit. He says, I do not buy women's clothes. I would not make that mistake again. Suggesting that he has made that mistake before. Um, <laughs> which I feel like that's a mistake you would only make once if you were to ever make it, but not Michael Scott. Kevin walks in late as Roy is picking up his last paycheck and as Roy is walking out, like he's on his way out, he's already gotten his paycheck, has already asked to meet Pam, is leaving. Kevin walks in and he's, oh, Jim, watch out. <laughs> yeah. Jim's, oh, thanks, Kevin. <laughs> he's just so late to the party. So and, uh, yep. <laughs> yep, thank you. Thanks for that. Uh, and something we didn't mention, Andy is officially back. Um, he didn't finish early as he had said he would. Uh, he says, but like in college, I finished on time. And so he's back. But uh, as he walks into the office, Dwight pulls out his pepper spray and sprays Andy in the face and gets all of his weapons confiscated because that was completely unwarranted. I think Dwight kind of learned that, oh, you get praised if you <laughs> if you pepper spray unwanted people in the office. Um or maybe that's because he just really, really doesn't like Andy, but he did it again twice in one episode. So that's it for his pepper spray. Well, with that, I think that is the end of the official 25th episode of An American Workplace. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on Twitter. Please consider going over to iTunes or the Apple podcast app on your iOS device. Rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have any feedback or ideas for the show, you can email us, workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And then my other podcast, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them, which you can find where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. And show notes, for, or show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. And that's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 25 of An American Workplace. 
Make sure to join us in episode 26 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season three, safety training and product recall. Goodbye. Goodbye.